Amen. I have so much to talk about this morning. I have so little time and I've got about 10 different directions I want to go in because God's a God of information. Amen. He downloads stuff all the time and most of the time our filing systems aren't that great. So we end up stuff's getting stashed and put in inboxes everywhere and you don't get back to it. So I'm going to try to be concise this morning. I brought my Bible with me this morning because I was convicted a couple weeks ago when Brother Darwin was here preaching and teaching to us, and it wasn't anything he said or anything that he had brought up in his time with us. But when he started his morning, he op- he grabbed his Bible and he said, if you have your Bible this morning, open it. And I didn't. Now this Bible I've preached out of for about 15 years. I love this Bible. It's got a lot of notes in it. It's in good shape. I always take good care of them. I don't beat them up. I don't leave them in my car. I don't let them get all in the back window. I take, try to take good care of them. But I have leaned on in the past few years on my phone. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, it's offensive for the minister or anything like that, but there is something about paper, bound paper, that means something. Amen? There's a significance to this. I don't know what it is. It's, they're just words on paper. But there's something about it that nobody can take this from me. I've got a lot of them. If I lose one, I got more. I don't have to have a plug in the wall to make sure I can read it. I got light of the day to to, to give me light if I need it, right? There's something very significant. So I want to encourage you, don't forget about these. Because these it's the, the, the word itself is just paper, it'll burn in a fire. But the words themselves are eternal. And yes, they live in our heart, and yes, we have many ways we can gain knowledge from them, whether it be our phone or our computers, but there's something about this, and I want to encourage you to don't forget your words on paper. Amen? Amen. I don't want us to come to a time or an era in life in this planet when whether it may be us or our children or our grandchildren are forced to not have anything at all. And where snippets of paper like they do in far-off countries where the gospel is not allowed to be preached... Scriptures are torn out of Bibles and wadded up in little tiny things and people will hide them in their ears. And they'll travel and they'll pull that paper out and and they have more Scripture. This is how the early church functioned, amen? They didn't have anything. How do you think Paul's letters became the epistles? They would be rewritten and someone would stick them in their ear and and hide out from the Romans or or the Pharisees. And they would go to a family, home church, and they'd pop it out and unfold it. And they'd have a scroll, they'd have something to bring to teach. There's something significant about this that I don't want us to lose. Amen? I'm sorry. Hallelujah. Nothing to be sorry about. Amen? Encouraging. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Where are we going this morning, Lord? First, Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching and preaching to us by your spirit, illuminating truth to us, Lord. Thank you that we are in our frailties and our feeble nature, Lord, you are great on our behalf and you give us because of that lord we are great thank you for that lord thank you lord okay recently uh i had been praying and seeking the lord as to not just what he had asked for me to bring to you this day but also just different things i often pray for different issues of people or events or uh, the church globally individually our church and we had some friends with us uh, a couple of weeks back, some missionary friends, and then we began to talk about the church, the work that they were doing in, in Africa and some of the work they were doing in the States and just the nuances, how the Spirit is flowing in certain areas and how there's troubles and difficulties in, in, in our churches and different things. And I began to pray one morning in the last couple of weeks, and the Lord took me to the Scriptures, of, or He rem- brings it back to my memory, the story of the two walking to Emmaus the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And if we remember how the story goes, this is after the Passover. Jesus is in the tomb. It's on the morning of the third day. And the the, the disciples have all scattered. Jesus is dead. Some of them are huddled together trying to figure out what's going on. But these two brothers, it says, that they were on the road out of town. And as they walked along... A third person came along beside them and walked with them. And 
they didn't recognize who was with them that morning. And they walked along, and as they were walking, they were back and forth of the hubbub that had happened over the last three days. And the traveler that was with them asked them, well, who are you referring to? And they went on to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth and all the things that he had done and how that he was taken up and crucified and put in the tomb. And now everything he promised us is for naught. We're out of town. We're out of here. Everything he said wasn't, didn't happen. We've got to get out of here. So then Jesus goes on to proceeds to, to talk about himself. I love this. He, he goes on to tell them about what Moses wrote and what the prophets had written about him, about how he would live and die and how his kingdom would be established. Amen? And then they get to Emmaus and Jesus is saying, well, you guys have a good day. You guys have a good, a, a good life. And they say, but no, Lord, come stay with us. Have some food and partake with us, right? They were enlivened by his message. So Jesus goes inside, and as they sit at the table to break bread and have their meal, Jesus takes the bread, He blesses it, He breaks it, and what happens? Their eyes are now open to remember Him. Why did Jesus tell us when we take communion? Do this in what? So I said, Lord, that's I love the story, I love the many references, I love the... The, 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 how beautiful and poignant your storytelling is and how you reveal it to these men. And, but what are you trying to tell me? He said, my church is as these two men in this era, in this age. Far too many people like the message. They're trying to be sustained by the message. Now, I'm not talking about the message of the gospel. I'm trying to, what I'm saying is, is they were sustained by what Jesus did for three years. They were sustained by the miracles and the, and the power of his preaching. They were sustained by that. But the minute Jesus was taken out of the equation and all the promises and the truths that he had said to them that would happen and how it would be, he blatantly told them that the Son of Man will be taken, that will be arrested, he'll be beaten, he'll be crucified, he'll die, but on the third day he'll Rise up again. He told them those exact things and it played out exactly as he said. And these three guys still felt the need to head out of town because they were expecting themselves to be sustained by the message. If you come here every Sunday, faithfully, God bless you and thank you for that. But you will not be sustained by the message that comes forth from this place on a Sunday or from the message that comes forth on whatever other medium you, 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 you function in your television your different different things you can only be function you can only be sustained by the truth you have to you have to and I'm saying this just just with with a, as a plea we must be knowers and doers of the word of God amen we cannot be sustained by messages. They're great. I love them. Man, they fill me up. They stir me up. They get me on fire. But Jesus says, listen, what does it say about me? We have to know those truths, those promises have to be alive within us. Because I'm sorry, when the somebody that you love dearly is crucified or murdered in the streets or hung by the neck until dead for the, for the sake of the gospel, we have to still stand on God is good. God is for me. I am more than an overcomer in Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to be persecuted. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be beaten to death. That just means that I'm an overcomer. Amen? You know, I've always, I always prayed. When we pastored, I would never talk to the worship team about what their songs are, why, what they're doing. Why? Because they are ministers. They have to seek the face of God for what it is that they want to bring to God. They're not entertaining me on Sunday morning. They are, because they're gifted and they're anointed and they're, they're really fun to listen to. But they're ministering to Him. How many of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date us in the room, remember when you went to the movies, the movie theater, there was a man there with a flashlight. He was called the usher. And what did he do? Did he tell you how to watch the movie? Did he tell you where to sit? I mean, if you had a ticket, he'd take you to a seat. But his job was to usher you into the movie. Amen? The worship team's job is, to, is their priestly duty is to usher us into his presence. It's their job. 
That's what they have to do. So they've got a whole separate task of things that they do throughout their course of their week to prepare. And I've always asked God, please, Lord, speak to them the same way you're speaking to me. I don't want to create anything in the spirit. I don't want to manufacture a message or or a, a feeling or I don't want it to be all about the color purple today. Everything's all the songs, the message, everything's no, I don't want that. Lord, I want it to be creative and I want you to speak through us so we know, Lord, that it's a, a witness of you truly speaking to your church. And week after week after week, God has always been faithful to give a message to the worship team that he's also giving to the speaker, to the man or the woman of God who's going to bring the teaching. And God did that faithfully this, this morning, again, amazingly again. He talked, we sing about his faithfulness. Why? We know how that's, we know the story behind great is thy faithfulness. Yes? The man wrote it after his wife and children were, they were, they, they sank, the boat sank on its way from England or to England. I don't remember the whole story. I'm butchering it. But instead of throwing himself into the pit of sorrow and dread and despair, he cries out, great is your faithfulness, O God. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All that you've given, all, all that I've, uh, that all that all that I've had, your hands provided. Man, that's. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody who could honestly just fall to their knees and praise God. So this morning, we face things. We have to struggle. We have to fight. We have to overcome. But guess what? Great is Thy faithfulness. That promise still stands true. We still sing that song. You ever notice that God's powerful anointing is on some of the old hymns? It's almost like, man, he put a stamp on it, and every time those words are uttered or those chords are, are played, man, there is a, just a, a weight that falls in the room. It's like, a, it's like the e-ticket to the throne. If we can let go of our hearts, man. See, we can't be sustained by the message. We have to be faithful to find these things out ourselves. These truths have to become real to us. They can't just be preached to us. God's going to ask you some questions someday. He's not going to ask you about your favorite pastor or your favorite, the favorite message that the pastor brought. I'm sorry. He's going to ask you about you. How much of me is, do you know, or how much of me is in there? He says these things to us, and that's where I'm going this morning, because he wants us to be mindful that even though we have we have struggles, we have strifes, we have difficulties, it's not going to get better. It's not going to get any better. This is pretty much the best we're probably going to see it from now until the return of Christ. Progressively, the world gets darker. Amen. We've read the story. It's not a, it's not a real it's a great ending. Just the getting there is horrible. It's like when mom and dad used to drag you to Yellowstone. Anybody have those those childhood memories? My wife did. In the back of a Toyota pickup truck with a camper shell or a station wagon with the windows rolled down 105 all the way to Yellowstone. Remember those days? Oh, Lord. I don't even know where I was going with that. Right. It's going to get darker. So therefore, these truths have to be so alive in us that no matter what's around us, no matter what we hear or see, great is thy faithfulness. You are faithful to, to fulfill the good work that you began in me. You're faithful. I don't need no scriptural addresses. I just know those truths. Good, bad things happen to good people. Lord, you're still good. And typically, as humans, we always want to know the, the who, the why, the how, the what, the when. God doesn't work that way. God just says in an appointed time, in an appointed time, because he doesn't dwell in a place of time and space temporally like we do. He's eternal. He, he dwells in a place that's there is no start nor finish. But what will be the signs? God's been speaking to me about that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. That's not IQ. That's knowing who he is. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I don't know you. Open your Bibles this morning. I still do things a little old school to the book of Mark, even though I put everything on paper. I'm still, that's my old school. I teach from paper because I just transfer. We're so easy to cut and paste now. I can take everything and keep it more concise. Pastor Scott's a step above. He's got his iPad here. And 
With me, if I push that screen with this big sausage, I'd probably end up at the conclusion of my message. And I go, oh, and I got to come back down. And where did I leave off? And last night I was on the computer and I lost sight of my cursor on the screen or where it's blinking, you know, where I left off. And I got paragraphs of notes and I'm looking, I'm trying to look for the dot. So then I thought, I can't see it. So I just start hitting the space bar and watch the whole sign, the whole, the sentence move. And then I knew, okay, that's where I'm at. And I back up and start over again. I'm pretty binary, so to speak. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 13 this morning. I'm going to talk about this, where I believe we are as a people, maybe a little bit where we are in the time of timeline of God and the things, uh, the things of the kingdom as they manifest as we get closer to the return of Christ. Mark chapter 13, starting verse 1, it says, Then as we went out of, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these buildings? Not one of them shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of all these things when all these things will be fulfilled? Jesus answered them, and began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying that I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. That's, that's pretty much every day of the week right now, isn't it? But the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nations, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. That's one thing we see constantly in the earth today. Weekly we hear of earthquakes, we hear of famines, we hear of fires, we hear of, 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 of tidal waves. As a kid, how many of us ever remember hearing of tidal waves? I remember hearing about a, a, a tidal wave that went through Anchorage, Alaska before I was born. But other than that, we never heard of tidal waves. They were kind of an idea, a myth. Nowadays, now we see them. We'll see them out in the open ocean rolling across out in miles of just a rolling roll of water. And eventually, as the, as the water gets shallower and the earth gets, gets closer to the surface, that water starts building up into a wave and it's destructive. We're seeing things at an unprecedented rate in our world today. There are things that we should be taking more notice of and being more mindful of what we're seeing, not just... Did you see this? Did you hear about that? And make that our talking points. Amen? These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake, for their testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and they deliver you up, don't worry beforehand. Or premeditate what you're to speak. But whatever you are given in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. That kind of stuff is floating around right now, isn't it? Children having a platform to direct and dictate what goes on. And you will be hated for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Hallelujah. See, even in this clarity of understanding and importance to the disciples, Jesus is also speaking to us. Amen? Sometimes we should think about things more often. We should, we should dwell upon things more often. We should take heed of things more often. Has, all of us have, have heard the term, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. At where I work, sometimes it's the loudest wheel gets the attention. Right? See, we by nature are survivors. And our brains will focus mostly on the immediate thing around us. The squeaky wheel. If you cut your finger, what do you do? You run straight to the medicine cabinet for Dubandi, right? That, that now becomes precedent. It doesn't, regardless of what you're doing, that becomes right now. That is your squeaky wheel. Sometimes it's bills. 
Sometimes it's jobs, sometimes it's our children, sometimes it's our marriage. All of these things are important, right? But when we slip into this survival mode, we often neglect a lot of other important duties. So I have a question, and please, you don't have to answer. But how many times in the last seven days, one week, have you thought that the have you thought about the coming of the Lord? The return of the Lord. How many times in the last seven days has any of us thought about that? Contemplated that? How about in the last two weeks? Has any of us asked ourselves, are we ready? I certainly don't say that to expose anybody. I say it just for us to take an honest measure of what is it that we're thinking about? What is it that we're putting our fire, what fires in our lives are taking precedence over some of the things that we should have as daily practice? Periodically, we should be given serious thought to about the Lord's return. And I believe that the church is being directed and stirred in this season to be more watchful and to be more prayerful to be more willing to let go of themselves and begin to just seek seek God for the sake of the working kingdom around the world. So the passage of Scripture that I read from, Mark 13, is commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse, his, his preaching on the Mount of Olives. These passages together give us a very specific look at some end times events. And it also appears in the book of Matthew and Luke. And, and, and periodically throughout the book of Revelation. And even Paul mentions it in the books of Thessalon- to the Thessalonians and to his son Timothy. But Jesus, in effort of getting his disciples more focused on spiritual things, he begins to express the need to watch. Right? To pay attention. To take heed. To be mindful of. And to pray. Amen? These are actions. I can't sit back and let Sean do it. Or sit back and... I know James is praying in the 12 o'clock hour. He prays every night at midnight, so I don't have to pray. Right? We don't want to relegate these things. Jesus is saying it to us. He said it to them. We need to stop looking at the message so much and start looking at the job that we're supposed to be doing through the message. Jesus is... He, he says some pretty hard things. We've allowed religion to paint the picture of this, this, this wafy, miserable, pathetic person. He's the Lord. He spoke with truth, with power and demonstration. He commanded demons to be silenced and they did. He called them out of people and they left. They went back without even a squeak to the dryness, to the darkness. Jesus knew that the time he was speaking of was not then, but he was trying to prime the pump of the early church to be mindful that this is what it's about. It's not about the Sunday expression, so to speak. It's needed and I love it. He's talking about your daily walk. He doesn't tell them the when. He only instructs them to prepare. Hallelujah. See, our lives in Christ would be much easier if He told us what to do and when to do it. Amen? If you got an email every morning from the desks of Jesus. And He's telling us exactly, okay, remember, Sean, at 1045, I need you to be here to take care of this, and, and we, need, we need this and that done, right? No. We like that because it just gives us, uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a crutch, a life crutch, right? See, the problem of some in the church is that they refuse to do what Jesus has instructed them to do. And instead, attempt to determine more so the whens, the hows, the whys, and the whats. Yeah? Since the cross, many smart people have really tried to calculate when he would return. Many of today's ministries, some of the biggest global ministries that have been around for generations, started with false teaching about the return of the Lord. Some global institutions were formed on false teachings and they're st- and they're still those are still the basis of their the foundational teachings dates and times he'll come in this year nope he'll come in this year nope he'll also come in this year nope some of those are cults they're still alive some of them are mainstream christian institutions that are based in fal- false falseness so not really going into any much of that this morning i don't want to bore you with that but 
The truth is that there are many things that are being preached that Jesus is saying, you need to be mindful of for yourself. Amen? Date setters are always going to be wrong. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 36. I don't think I gave that to you, Randy. It's all right. But on that day and on that hour, no one knows. If, if, if I told you that no one in this earth, walking the earth today, will ever know the return date of the Lord. That's pretty definite, isn't it? But people in their own education, in their own understanding, and they're so smart, not even the angels know. And the last time that I really thought about it, angels are pretty smart. right? They know the scriptures back to front. They know all of it. No one will know, but only my father. I, we had a friend, a, a brother in Christ. He still has a very large ministry in Guatemala. He took his family from Texas in 1964, drove down there in his four-door Dodge Valiant, all the way through from Texas, all the way through Mexico into Guatemala. And he's had a ministry there ever since. And he put, he's a very brilliant man, great teacher, total, very much of a scholar. He put his ministry on the line and he believed with everything was in him. Jesus was returning at the year 2000. He had a book, and of course, <laughs> it didn't happen. He had to eat some humble pie, and he had to go before himself, his congregation, and all the people around him, and say, this book isn't true, obviously. He wrote another book trying to explain maybe some things he was in error, but he gave up the idea that he should be trying to pick the date or the time when Christ returns. It's a lot of wasted life, because God says, you're not going to know, Right? So therefore, why would anybody ever feel the need to, count, con- to contradict Jesus and say, let me, let me work on those numbers for you. Let me get back to you. Right? In fact, we shouldn't even give much to the identity of who the false prophet and the Antichrist will be. So it's irrelative. Or it's irrelevant. Excuse me. They're going to be used as an instrument to bring forth the glory of God in the earth. Yes? Bad things happen to good Christian people. You know what it does? It brings glory to God. But notice Jesus said first that we must take heed or beware of. Not what was to come. You got to take heed first. You got to be mindful first. It says he said that the end is going to be sudden. But what will be the sign? See, I want to look at some five points this morning that I believe Jesus was making to His disciples. And I think He's making to us too. And the first sign is that there was the destruction of the temple. There was the destruction of the temple. Uh, Mark 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Then He went out of the temple. When He went out of the temple, one of His disciples said to Him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what the buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to Him, Do you see these buildings? Not one shall be left upon another that, sh- that, that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, James, John, uh, James, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of all of, the, all of these things will be fulfilled. See, they were in awe. They're walking with, through, with the Lord through this beautiful monument of man's achievements. Jesus is saying, we don't live here anymore. <laughs> we don't live here anymore. This institution is not is no longer happening. The temple itself at the time was one-sixth the size of Jerusalem. That would be like taking this room right here and taking a chunk of it, a sixth of it, 15%, a little more. And that's just that's just the church. That's not where everybody else lives. The place was massive. It was beautiful. It was known all over the world. And Jesus says, I'm not there anymore. This institution won't stand. God the Father, He mandated, he, he, He's the architect, He orchestrated and He executed the, the building of the temple. temple of, the tabernacle of Moses and then Solomon's temple. And He resided there and He received worship in that place. And it was pure and it was right and it was perfect and He loved it. But he was doing something new. Hallelujah. He had a new plan. Amen. 
It was to let this edifice of humanity be destroyed that I may dwell in the lives of men in a temple that's not made by the hands of men. Amen? That's you and me. What a plan. When Jesus condemned the temple, He was saying that this temple is nothing more than man's glorified accomplishments. And that God's glory had departed it long before and wasn't returning anytime soon. That's why the New Testament epistles are filled with words commanding us to be vigilant and and sober and with discernment. True discernment is from the Holy Spirit. True discernment comes from the Holy Spirit. Human discernment is not from the Lord. Human discernment is called skepticism, is called suspicion, is called pride, is called judgment, is called gossip. Amen? That's human discernment. Oh, she clearly has a spirit of X, Y, and Z. No, you clearly have suspicion. You're not functioning in the spirit. If you are, it's not the big S. Amen? True discernment. So, okay, Lord, what is, what's going on here? If I have, if JR is on my heart and my heart's broken for him, I don't need to go to JR and poke around in his life. Lord's put compassion in my heart for him, so I'm going to pray for him. You should be moved to compassion when someone's hurt. We should be moved to, 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 to conviction, to, to plead on their behalf. Not say, mmm, JR must be having a bad day. Or something's going on in JR's life. Mm. Well, if you did you know? And we make things spiritual and all we're doing is gossiping and slandering and exposing. I'm not covering his nakedness, right? If he's in a place, I should be covering him with prayer. Covering his life, covering his, his circumstances. I don't need to know information. I just need to know what to do. Hallelujah. See, the glory is something we can't trifle with. We can't afford to lose in our fellowships. We can't afford to, to discard or set aside or put upon a shelf in our lives and our homes like some sort of a monument of, of some great deed in life. A trinket, a token, a totem even. Something we worship from a distance. I mean, I have so many of these things and you have to be careful. They, be, they become idolatry. It sounds really ridiculous, doesn't it? I got like 40 Bibles. Some of them I've never even opened. You know when you get a new Bible and you got to go... Get all the pages unstuck. You work it. I got some I've never even done that to. See, Paul was right when he had said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. That you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So with that said, I ask this morning to all of us, and please don't answer. Has the Lord's, has the Lord's Spirit left the temple? Have we created a place within our own life that His, the, 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 the gentleness of His Spirit doesn't wish to, re, to, to reside there? Are we living in a church mentality and not really living in a kingdom mentality? Are we living our lives or are we living the life that Christ is destined for us to live? See, those are questions we have to ask ourselves. This isn't like just the one price gets you the whole park. You know? Back in the day, some of us also, I'm going to date myself, when you went to Disneyland, you had tickets. If you wanted to go on the really cool rides, you wanted to go on the Matterhorn, you had to pay for the, the big ones or the e-ticket. And that was just a big book. Now, we want our Christianity to be like it is today. Oh, I, I come to church, I paid once, I'm in the park, I get, the, I get all the benefits. It's true, you do. But you're not really living the way Christ has laid out for us to live. Amen? Remember, there are talents that we're given. It's not necessarily money. It's not necessarily a talent like singing or dancing. It's talents, it's knowledge, it's things, it's truth. It is currency in the Spirit that that is, if invested wisely, brings a return. Amen? And so He wants us to be mindful about those talents and how we're investing them. Not just sitting on them. And I'm sorry, I'm guilty of it on a daily basis. If we're all truthful, we would all be honest. Yeah, there's things I don't do that I should. And sometimes I know it. I just don't want to. That's humans. We have to fight our humanity. 
We have to pray when we don't want to. We've got to get out of bed when we're warm to pray. We've got to do the things we don't want to do. Because why? It's strengthening something that's eternal. Because this is frail. And every year it gets a little more difficult to do the things I used to do. Are we cultivating a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit? See, or are we playing games? Because really only you can answer that. Amen? The second topic or the second point is that there would be the deception of many. Mark 13 verse 5 says, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive you. Many individuals, right? Many ones will deceive the many. Amen? There's a multiplication of deception. It's not many will come and at the same time and convince many that you're gonna, of their message. It's the ones. It's the virus. The first virus. The first uh, particle of a virus that enters your body corrupts one cell. And then that cell corrupts and corrupts and corrupts and corrupts. And after about three days of that, guess what? You don't feel very good because your body's corrupted with a lot of negative bad things that are trying to take over your systems. Amen? That's how it works. The enemy comes in like a flood. How do floods come? Slow. The frog in the, 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 the boiling kettle. Floods come in slow. The water will sleep across the floor and then it just slowly rises and fills the room. We tend to think that floods come in rushing. No. The Lord speaks of the destruction of the temple and so now He moves on to the deception of many. It's interesting how the disciples wanted to know the days, what the days would look like, but Jesus begins expressing the condition of the mind. This is what we should be focused about first. Not who's in power or what's going on or what's burning or what's blown up or any of those things. What's going on in the mind? Don't be deceived. And don't think for five seconds that not anybody in this room could be deceived. All of us could be deceived at one point or another if the ingredients were right. All of us could do any act of, any horrible act if the ingredients were there. We're humans. We're frail. We're, we're weak. We're feeble. Right? Christians can get, getting divorces or, 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 or having affairs or having addictions. That just means that they're just one step away from slipping off into something that's hard to get back from. Amen? They're living in this, all the junk in the drawer and not being willing to expose it to the Lord so they could walk in the freedom of it. We still hide. We're still Adam in the garden, hiding myself and my nakedness, knowledge of my inabilities and my weaknesses and being afraid. Now, I'm afraid of God. No, I'm not afraid of God. I'm afraid of His greatness. He's immense. When He shows up, sometimes I want to pull the carpet up and climb underneath it. Right? Has anybody ever been there? His presence fills the room and it gets so tangible that I want out of here. I want out. My flesh is screaming, filthy. One of the most critical aspects of our salvation is that we're not deceived. Amen? Becoming deceived happens due to, due to laziness. Sitting and not doing things on my own, letting everybody tell me what to eat and tell me what to wear and tell me what to think and tell me how to act and tell me what to say and tell me what to believe. Right? That's just through laziness. If I'm going to allow everybody to dictate for my life, what's the point? Jesus was passionate about diligence, about slothful, lazy behavior, that it opens the door to the deceiver, right? Deception invades and muddles up the mind. But why is the mind so important? Why is the mind so important? Because the mind is the gateway to the heart or the soul of a man or a person, excuse me. It's the battleground where we confront Satan's works. Most of his entrapments come in here. They're not snares like an animal. They're snares up here. They're things that happen around our lives that he tries to monopolize on. Bad things that happen to good Christian people. He tries to get in there and muddy it up. And if we're lazy, if we're not being uh, uh, on guard, if we're not being prayerful, you know, if we're, if we're in the garden sleeping and he's praying and he says, pray with me an hour and we're not, right? We're lazy. And I'm preaching to myself. I always try to. I don't ever stand, hope that, or think I'm standing here and I've got it all together. Believe me, I give you a pl- complete liberty to ask my wife. We have a joke. She's come to embrace it when I first said it. It was probably said during an argument or something. But I told her one time in, in a, what, are they, what do we call it? A passionate discussion? Is that what we call it? I said, I already have one Holy Spirit. So now I say, I tell people I have two Holy Spirits. 
And we chuckle about it. But it's only because she wants the best for me. It's not because she's trying to dictate or control, right? She's being honest. We should be dealt with each other. We should allow the Holy Spirit within me to speak to the Holy Spirit in JR, right? Be led to. Speak truth in love, right? Anyway. Love you, dear. See, in our, in our, if our minds are weakened or we're not taking every thought captive, right? Isn't that what Paul tells us? You take every thought captive that exalts itself above the knowledge of, of, of Him. No, you gotta, that means you gotta take it. You have to, you have to imprison it. You have to dethrone it. You have to put it down. Because if we don't, those things that we, that we enthrone in our minds, they become attitudes. They become, they, they come out of us. They become fruit. Pastor's been speaking about fruit. Taking every thought captive. We're far more prone to fall into, into deception when we're weakened because we ignore the voice of the Lord within reminding us in the very beginning to watch and pray. He doesn't say run to Emmaus. He doesn't say run away. He doesn't say go hide. He doesn't say let's go back to fishing. Right? He says watch and pray. Don't, that doesn't matter who stands behind a podium with lots of flags around them telling us what's going on. I don't care about any of those people. They're not dictating my life because my life is not here. I'm just passing through. Amen? They're not the first lying tongues that are going to speak toward to us. And they're certainly not the last. Take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. Who is Jesus speaking of? He's speaking of false teachers. And I'm not talking about real true men and women of God who are sanctified, who have separated themselves, that preach truth, that, that, that love God's people, that are, that don't do anything except promote Jesus. And they, there's power, there's signs, there's wonders, there's miracles in the preaching of the word through their hands because they're faithful. I'm talking about ones that come with a motivation to deceive. That come motivated by a dollar amount. That come motivated by the accolades. That become, that come motivated by telling you whatever you want to hear to feel good. I'm okay, you're okay. No, we're all dead in our sin. Without Jesus, we're done. Amen. See, in our world all too often, young ministers, and it doesn't matter about age, just young ministers are promoted because of their gifts. Man, that guy can prophesy. Woo! He read my mail up one side and down the other. Or she was a great at this, or she's discerned this, or she was, had word of knowledge that. And we, and we promote that because of what we're getting out of it. But when, when any of us as parents, we would never promote our children into something that they can't do. Or, and, and if we did, we would be just, it would be just terrible. But why do we do it to young people who, the word even says, don't promote somebody young in the ministry because their lives don't haven't really measured up to their gifts. There's fruit and there's gifts and the scales have to balance. If I'm super gifted and I nobody knows about me, take heed. Not because there's something might bad come forth, but because you're supposed to be mindful. And you're supposed to allow people to be raised up in a healthy fashion. Jesus says to warns us of these of, of these false powers because they're powerful. It's, you know, I've never gone out of my way to persuade somebody. Oh, maybe my wife. But to be able to do that to the masses, that's a motivation. That's a motivation. They'll have power over people. And that even the elect or the people of God will be deceived. That's the scripture. Third point is the devastation of the world. Chapter 13, verse 7. It says, but when you hear the wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrow. So first we have the destruction of the temple. Then we have the deception of many. Now the Lord describes the devastation of the world. Never before have we ever had such real-time information gathering. It's been preached for years, decades, because we did. We were able to call on the phone on the other side of the planet. You know, when, when, when things happened, we would get information. It would trickle in throughout the course of the day. But now, man, if a bomb blows up in Paris, it's on my phone in 30 seconds. We, have the inf- we, have, we can gather 
more and more information now at unprecedented levels. Our world continues to move in the direction at this very moment. Wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, kingdoms against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, troubles. What is kingdoms? I'll tell you. Paul talks about in in the kingdom of God there are kings and priests. Amen? It's not just the one generation a man sits on the throne, he's a king. God's speaking of businessmen. Business-minded money people who can generate large amounts of money for the kingdom. There's kings. There's also earthly kings. Men who are not sanctified, but women that are very bright in business. And they control large processes throughout the, the world. Right? We, know, we have names of people that are on our televisions and on our phones every day. Business people. Those are kings. And they're scheming to destroy each other. And they're scheming to, to, to hold on to markets and to hold on commodities and to, to stop people from being able to do thus and such because they have the ability to stop the flow of things. Kings against kings. Businesses. Corporations against corporations. But, there's also, but there is also two things that Jesus wants us to be mindful in this event. That the end is not yet and that it's the beginning of sorrows. I don't have it up here. I'm just going to paraphrase. But First Thessalonians 5, the first few verses in First Thessalonians 5, Paul talks a lot about the end times being like the birthing process. Women, they the the, the uh, I don't, something's not right. I'm anxious. I'm uptight. I don't feel good. Can't get comfortable. I'm hot. Whatever happens, before any pain starts, there's a precursor. The body's changing. It's getting geared up for the trauma that's about to take place. The world is kind of like that. There's rumblings and there's movements and there's difficulties and there's discomforts and there's things. And then all of a sudden, before Jesus comes, it's going to be a full-blown violent violent act of, of, of a birthing. The same types of pangs of pain. The world's going to experience huge amounts of pain and discomfort. There'll be great suffering that will come during the period of this tribulation. And whatever devastations that we've seen in our lives, are not going to com- they're going to pale in comparison to what's to come. People who fought in battle and have seen heinous and horrible things, nothing will compare to it. We will all, or those, those that are alive at the time, will be forced to witness things that they never imagined they could ever endure to witness. But what does Jesus say in the midst of all that? To watch and to pray and to be mindful and to not be deceived. The fourth point is the distress, the distress of the persecuted says in Mark 13, verse 9, but, be, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you to councils, and you'll be beaten in the synagogues. Where's that? I don't think it's here. I don't think Pastor Scott's going to get the switch out and beat us up for our faith. I do believe that the synagogue, because even in Jesus' time, what was there represented a religious structure. I think something will rise up and, and be a Christian structure. That we'll have to follow under. That'll be a, a kind of an overhead mandate because the world's going to be kind of become one place. And we're already there. We're coming, becoming a one world place. And you'll be brought before rulers and kings for my namesake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Meaning in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all this brutality and tribulation, the gospel will still be preached. There will still be those that will be faithful to stand and endure to the end and they will still preach the gospel. And children will give up their parents and Brothers and brothers, brothers to brothers to death, and children to their fathers to their children. Children raise up their parents, and you'll be hated. Now Jesus addresses the, the persecuted. When we look through history, we see that there is evidence of brutality and persecution. The Fox's Book of Martyrs. Most of us have owned one. It's a book talks about stories of people's death and for Christ. But that's the abridged version. It's actually three giant books chronicling the death of the saints for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is talking about those things to us. But listen to this visual in Revelation chapter 6. And I'm almost done this morning. Revelation chapter 6 starts in verse 9. It says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the soul of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell in the earth? 
Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who had been killed uh, as they were was completed. That is a heavy-duty visual of the faithfulness of God Almighty. There is an appointed time when the last person will, will cry out to the glory of God and be put to death. There is a moment that God has to sit back as a loving, caring, creative genius, a father of billions, trillions, and watch his last child be slain before everything could be put into motion. How heart-wrenching can we even imagine that is? For ourselves, it would be unbearable. But he has to wait for the appointed time. He has to partner with our anguish and with our, with our, with our hurts and our concerns. And it, he, he relishes in the worship that comes forth through the proclamation of his gospel message. Isn't that awesome? That is so awesome. And that brings me to my fifth and final point. The deliverance of the believers. Mark 13, 13 says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, these kind of messages, they're kind of stirring. They're good. There's always a lot of good things in them. But because because the reality says that most of us won't really witness the worst of it. Amen? Most of us won't. Most of us will grow in Christ, live our lives, do our best, and we'll die a normal death. Prayfully, a long, good, long life. Most of us won't really make it to this. I don't think we're here yet. I think we're still some time off. Obviously, there's things that have to happen. There's clearly things that are happening. Some things have already happened, right? But what about your children? What about your grandchildren? What about your great-grandchildren? What about the, the blessings of the generations that lives within you physically that is going to be procreated through you and your children and your grandchildren? Those are the people that we need to be praying for. We need to be mindful for them. We need to be watching for them. We need to pray that our children have eyes to see by the Spirit. We need to pray that our children have hearts that can perceive and understand His commands. We need to have children that are not afraid to open their mouths and let the songs of heaven come forth and come out of them regardless of how they're being persecuted. That has to be our prayer point. Because we're not facing gross persecution. We need to be praying for the people, the saints in, in Ukraine, that are just trying to endure to the end. And their world's completely turned upside down. That's why this can't sustain you. That's why the message can never sustain you. I don't mean the overlying, over, over, uh, the overshadowing message of Christ or the gospel. I'm not talking about that. That sustains us. But the message that comes forth to you, that's fed to you by your shepherd, is not going to fulfill you. You have to go to the source. You have to know that you know that you know that I will not, that I will not forget him. And that I know if I find myself in a place in this life where I'm walking, that he's right there. This morning, a brother walked his, his wife in, first service, walked her down the aisle, put her in the chair. And the Lord said to my spirit, that's exactly how I want to do it. Because we go through life and we just willy-nilly, man, we wing it. We need to know that we know that we know that we know that when I reach my hand over like this, just like when I do this to my wife, I can just put my hand out and it's almost like a radio signal. She picks up on it and she reaches over and grabs it. I don't know why. I don't know what's the weirdest thing. I know I can do it. And, I, and, it, and if she doesn't, I'll kind of reach back, look back and see if she's preoccupied with something, right? That's what, we, that's what Christ wants from us. He wants to know that, man, you're, you're at death's door or you're watching someone go or you're, you're, you're seeing things fall apart that you've put so much blood, sweat, and tears into. And you feel so alone, you feel so dejected and so persecuted and so broken and so disconnected that you need to be reconnected, right? He's saying, reach out and grab my hand. Reach out and grab my hand. See, the Lord completed His portion of the Scripture or this discourse or this dissertation or whatever His conversation was with them by encouraging the generations to come to, to endure to the end. To endure to the end. See, great Christian character does not grow up overnight. It's years. Tons of failures. But He's faithful to walk with us, right? Christian character requires great sacrifice. It demands commitment. It costs talent. It needs patience. It has resolution. See, have you started the race, but not really thought about that you've actually started a journey? Right? 
He that endures to the end shall be saved. That word saved, you know, we read those and we see words like saved or save or we, we automatically think about salvation. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about, you know what? You might, you might get pulled in, you might get your arms and your legs pulled off you. But don't be afraid because at the end of it all, you will be completely restored. Sozo is the word saved here. That means complete. To be renewed. To be made whole. To where every scratch has been completely mended. Every broken gear has been completely retooled. Right? Everything, every, everything you've exhausted has now been restored unto you. That's why the joy of our salvation be so, should be so strong because it's set. Nobody can take it away from us. Amen? See, the greatest work of the kingdom has come from men and women who have felt like giving up. Amen? Now, I don't know Christina that well. We only say hello, usually on Sundays. She's been a great blessing this morning, blessing us here. And I, 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 If I can, I felt led of the Lord this morning while we were worshiping that the Lord said to me that Christina's worship was birthed through uh, uh, adversity. That her worship didn't come from a place of where it was pie in the sky and she just learned to be a great musician and she loves to worship. The Lord just told me, and I don't know her story, but he said that her worship was birthed through adversity and trial and discomfort and that, that there's a new song, that there's a new sound that is going to begin to resonate in your spirit, that the new sound will be a, a sound of that's now a sound of joy a sound and, and, I, and I, i'm not saying that there's not joy in her worship but it's going to come from a place where there's some fulfillments and it's because she can release now freedom a freedom from within herself to worship and so i want to encourage you with that thank you for blessing us this morning see this generation needs a multitude of preachers and saints who refuse to give up and to determine to be the, to be numbered as faithful. Amen? We have to learn to pray for other people's grandchildren who are spun out. Other people's children who are living in lifestyle that just is going to bring torment and hurt. Business people, co-workers, things that we know and things that we don't know. You know, God doesn't have to give us the answers. He didn't give them the answer that they wanted. Why should He give us? He just says, be diligent. And so as we leave here today, we have to go diligent. That this life is not our own. That it was bought at a price. That we would never be willing of ourselves to pay so easily as He did. Because the life that He's given to us is a big life. And it can produce big things. Jesus said that we should be aware of the tr- that the trouble is coming, but He also promised that there was a reward that would come to the faithful. See, He never intended for words like these to cause us to live in a life of hopeless misery or to fall into... Uh, 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 or religiously survive, right? We just survive in religion. We just do the deadpan things. We come, we give exactly 10%. We take the communion elements just because that's the ceremonial thing to do, right? No. But rather that we should be aware that the trouble is coming and still that we can be faithful to the end. See, these points should be written on the forefronts of our thoughts as a checklist of coming events so that we can be diligent to watch and pray. Amen? Not get consumed with what's going on on the, on the tube every hour after the hour with instant information. It doesn't matter. I can get information faster. And it's not what happened. It's what do I do? What do I do? Ask meaningful questions. God, what are you saying? What do you want to do to, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to react? How do you, what do you want me to say? The destruction of the temple. Check. It's off the list. Happened. The deception of the many. I think we're in the process of that. The the devastation of the world. I don't know. It's coming. Keep global warming. 
The distress of the persecuted. There's people that are being persecuted in foreign lands right now. There's men and women in prison that right now are being beaten. And we often get too worried about incident and nonsense. Yeah? Wow. Pray for those people. Intercession is an awesome thing. And I encourage you to pray. Ask the Lord, man, help me to be an intercessor. Because, man, the Lord gives you windows into things and He asks you to be standing in, in the gap for things that have that make no sense. And you're because you know you're doing you're you're praying, you're in, in you're in, involved in something that's so much bigger than you, or your little problems, your single temporal earthly problems. Man, when you can do things for him that are happening on the other side of the world and you don't even need to know why, it is very liberating. And then finally the the deliverance of believers. The end of the fight. Amen. It's over. The troubles of life are long gone. I want to pray for us this morning and I want to I want to pray for you if you need prayer. I want you to come forward. I want you to come up to to receive that 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 regardless of what may be gripping your life right now, God has something for you to accomplish in the midst of it. That there's something that's greater I'm, yes, greater than you to accomplish for you to fulfill in this life. Maybe we need to let go of yesterday. Maybe we need to put down the, the thing that we were doing yesterday because it's been holding us from going into the new thing. Maybe we're holding on to some wounds or past events or, or hurts or sorrow that's forcing us to, uh, it's forcing us to to, 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 to move on. I'm sorry. I want to pray for you this morning. I don't want you to leave here the same. We should never leave this place the same. We should never break bread with a brother and leave that fellowship time the same. We should be changed from minute to minute to glory to glory, from faith to faith. There's in the image, there's a transformation process that's in constant flux that we need to embrace let go of the things you hate about yourself Jesus loves every one of them if you have things you need to let go of then give them to God lay them at his altar lay them at his feet he's here for you because he wants you to fulfill your purpose he doesn't just want church to come to Sunday meetings he wants people that are enlivened that are that are that know that they're armed and dangerous you have a light in you that repels darkness. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome that darkness has to recoil back into itself to stay away from it. So as we go this morning, don't allow the things around you to dictate the, the what's, the when's, the how's, and the why's. Because Jesus is saying, don't worry about any of those things. I've got it under control, and yet it might look dire, and I, but I still have it under control. And yes, good things, good, good people are going to perish, but they're not perishing. They're only coming to me. See, we have to remember that us, this life is all we know. Amen? He understands our humanity. He understands our frailties. He understands our weaknesses. That's why he came, so he could really understand them more. But that doesn't mean he wants us to wallow in them. So please come forward if you need to this morning. Don't let don't let leave this place without without receiving and being blessed. I'm going to ask the, the those that are here to pray to come up if they could. If people need prayer, if not, God bless you. I I, I know God's God's doing something in each one of us. And you know what? There's always more work to do. There's always more transformation to take place. And if it's not today, you know what? God's always faithful to make something happen. Just don't let it be too late. Amen? Be, be, be productive for Him. Father, I thank You for Your people. Lord, we love You because You first loved us. You had a plan and a purpose for us, Lord. You knew each one of us by name before we were conceived. And so this morning, we embrace the difficulties of this life. 
It's difficult for us to look forward to trials and tribulations, but Lord, we know that the truth of who you are is in the midst of them, and we'll be okay. Help us to be watchful, Lord. Help us to be those that, 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 that are, are mindful of the people in this world that need your touch. Help us to be, as you said, Lord, to your disciples, to take heed, to watch, and to pray. To not be moved by what we see. To not be affected by the words of others. To not be deceived into falseness, Lord, but to stand in the truth of who you are. Help us to be more diligent in our pursuit of you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, regardless of how we try to hide ourselves to each other, I thank you that you know who we are, and so help us to be real to you. Help us to be exposed to you. Help us to be naked before you, Lord, exposing all of our imperfections. You already know them. So this morning, Lord, we release and we relinquish ourselves to you, that we could be more like you, that we could stand in the face of adversity. Lord, that we could, that we could bless when we're being cursed, that we could honor when we're being beaten and persecuted. That, Lord, all the things that you said were going to come, Lord, we would, we would face these trials with a great expe- expectation of your glory being manifested through it. Lord, I just remember the stories of, of people being, being put to death in the Colosseums and how those faithful believers would come together and pray with the roar of the crowd and death being eminent and the smell of, of all of the, all of the proceedings around them. Lord, they still found the strength to face each other and to thank you for the good life that you've given them. Help us to be more of that mindset, Lord, as we go from this place. Help us to be changed, Lord. Change us. Transform us into something that truly represents you in the earth. Bless your people as they go. Bless pastors as they are away. God bless you all. Have a great week. Travels home. All of you, please have a great week ahead. God bless you. We love you.